Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome back. I am Audrey Rimlisbacher, the author of The Mission Driven Life and the founder of The Mission Driven Mom. I'm excited to be here today with Lindsay Wright. She is on our board and here today to spend a few minutes with me talking about principles of government. And it's quite a time to be talking about that, right, Lindsay? (laughs) Pretty intense. It's intense. Yeah, it's intense. So... We know a lot is going on in the world. We're going to try to keep it simple today and talk from the very, very beginning. I was, I've got this, got a big stack of books with me today. As you can see, they're all around me. There's many more on my bookshelves. And I just kept thinking about, how would we start this? What, what should we do here? Yeah. And I think we should start the way that the great thinkers start. We'll just begin the way that they begin. Let's do it. I've got my Aristotle here. I can always go back to the greats. I didn't grab Plato. My son had pulled it off the shelf and just didn't grab it. Uh, But he does the same kind of thing that every Locke does and everybody seems to do. And that is um, begin at the beginning. One of the things I love, I love a lot of things that C.S. Lewis said, but one of the things that I love that C.S. Lewis said is he said, of all the things that I know, what I know the best is what goes on inside of me. That's actually a very helpful thing to consider when you start looking at principles of government and economics, because it really starts pretty simple. One of the things when I, when I was teaching a lot of like grassroots groups and stuff like that years ago, I would make analogies for them about their home life, their interactions in their family and their interactions in their neighborhood. Because the better you understand that and how those interactions work, actually the better you understand government. It doesn't seem intuitive that would be the case, but hopefully starting today, and if we do this a few more times and get into more uh, government stuff for you, you'll start to see what I mean. So in politics, Aristotle just begins at the very beginning. What he does is he says, okay, it all begins with just one person. It all starts with just the individual. And like C.S. Lewis said, it starts with the fact that we know, I know I'm alive. I know a little bit about the thoughts and feelings that I have as an individual. And that actually tells me quite a bit about me and about my interactions with other people. And then that can also inform how governments are formed, why they're formed and how they should work. Mm -hmm. And that might not be intuitive, but that's kind of where he begins. He goes on to talk about, so then, The next thing that happens is that you've got men and women that want to get together and they form that basic unit, the family. Now Locke Mm -hmm. does a little bit different. Locke says, um, we all, let me see where he says it here. Um, He says, we all start out in a state of nature. So that's what we know is that You have to, in order to understand government, this is his second treatise uh, concerning civil government. And actually, if you haven't read Locke, read Locke. Because like, (laughs) there's two or three phrases that are direct quotes from Locke that Jefferson just plucked out and put in the declaration. Mm. So um, anyway, he says, um, it is impossible that the rulers now on earth should make any benefit or derive any the least shadow of authority from that which is held to be the fountain of all power. He's talking about God. 
So that's kind of how he starts out of political power. He talks about this main source of political power. And he says, okay, if we're going to understand this, let's start in a state of nature to understand political power aright. And to derive it from its original, we must consider what a state all men are naturally in. Okay. So Lindsay, what do you think? What state are all people naturally in before anything else exists? going back to the absolute ultimate state of nature. I don't know. Well, before we exist, is that no. what you're oh. No, before, before government or society or before any of that stuff exists, he okay. says, the estate all men are naturally that in, that is a state of perfect freedom to order their actions and dispose of their possessions and persons as they think fit. Okay. So, so we're, just, we're an individual. Yeah. We're just, I have, I am me. I exist. Yeah. I can make choices. I can, I own things. I can do what I feel is necessary. Yeah. And you intuitively know that about yourself. One of the things that gets messy here, right at the beginning sometimes <laughs> is this nature versus nurture, right? Oh, that's just because that's all been drilled into you. And that's just how you've been brought up and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But actually what people have in common historically and culture wide is actually far more similar than it is different, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of just how people as individuals interact themselves in their own lives and with their families and in their communities. So he says, we all start out in this state of nature. Now, his first treatise is actually on Adam. So he's a God-fearing man that believes in Adam and believes in this state of nature where we all started out, that we had perfect freedom to order our own actions, to own things, to do what we wanted with them. Mm -hmm. And that, because you can kind of look at this two different ways, you can decide that government inherit inherently exists and existed first or that men inherently exist and existed first okay right mm -hmm. so he says that we can dispose of our possessions and persons as we think fit within the bounds of the law of nature without asking leave or depending upon the will of any other man okay so what do you think about that no i that it just makes so much sense to me because the laws of nature are the laws that govern behavior mm -hmm. human behavior right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. um they tell us things that we should and shouldn't do and they're pretty mm -hmm. common you know if c.s lewis and his abolition of man he's got an appendix in the back mm -hmm. it's talking about here's all the similarities in different cultures and countries and and everything that they're very similar mm -hmm. and um so we know just without anybody telling us mm -hmm. that we shouldn't kill people, we shouldn't steal other people's stuff, right? And so uh -huh. if we're aligning our actions with what we intuitively know, which is, which is what we're, which is called natural law, then, then we're good for them, right? <laughs> it's interesting that you would say it that way, because actually those are a few of the things that right on the next page Locke goes right into that there are certain things we have a natural equality and there are certain things that are just self-evident okay and he good. talks I'm, good. I'm in good company you shouldn't, be able to, you shouldn't be able to kill each other we shouldn't be able to steal each other's stuff that we just intuitively know that he says um He says, well, Hooker is another, you know, famous author. He says, this equality of men by nature, the judicious Hooker looks upon as so evident in itself and beyond all question that he makes it the foundation of that obligation to mutual love amongst men on which he builds the duties they owe one to another. And from whence he derives the maxims of justice and charity. So he throws Hooker out there and says, look, he thinks that it's so obvious that there are natural laws that we all intuitively know the basic first principles of the universe or of this world anyway, that he uses that to make an argument for why we ought to love each other mm. and why there's such a thing as justice. 
because if I have, because if I, if I can do what I deem necessary in my life, obeying the natural law, then, Mm -hmm. then you can too, Mm -hmm. right? It's, if I'm an individual, then you're an individual too. Mm -hmm. We have those same rights Mm -hmm. and a duty to one another to -hmm. help protect those rights. Mm -hmm. I got you. Yep. He goes right into that. In fact, he says, so that if I do, do harm, I must look to suffer. There being no reason that others should show greater measure of love to me than they have to, uh, by me showed unto them my desire, therefore, to be loved of my equals in nature as much as possible may be imposed upon me a natural duty of bearing to them word fully the like affection. So I have this duty that if I want people to respect my natural rights and to treat me a certain way, I have a duty to treat them that way as well. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. Aristotle over here says, um, he says, okay, look, we're born as individuals, basically. And the first thing that we really kind of want to do is get married and partner up and have a family. That just seems to be a very, very natural desire. The family is the association established by nature for the supply of men's everyday wants. And the members of it are called uh, the companions of the manger, he, he says, um, But when several families are united and the association aims at something more than the supply of daily needs, the first society to be formed is the village. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to talk about just how we are, he says, we are, man is by nature a political animal. We need society. We need community. Um, And he goes on, this is just all right here in the first pages. He says, it is a characteristic of man that he alone, among all the animals, has any sense of good and evil and of just and unjust and the like and the association of living beings who have this sense makes a family and a state. I was reviewing a lot of stuff last night, so Mm -hmm. I can't remember where I read this, but dang, I wish I could remember. You probably Uh know. Okay. So we've got the individuals and then they create families. That's, Uh that's just the next logical Mm -hmm. step. And then they're working to, you know, supply to provide for their families. Yeah. And it, and it gets to the point where, Maybe I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. But it gets to the point where you need to also protect your family. Yeah. Right. But you don't have time to do both. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to get, you know, several families together. So this is the start of government, of society, of a government. Mm-hmm. You're going to get several mm-hmm. families together. And then you're going to um, give that right that mm-hmm. you have to somebody mm-hmm. else and say, you know, will you take care of the protection of, of these families so that we have more time to, you know, provide for our families. And so. Mm-hmm. But even before that. <laughs> see, I jumped ahead. Yes. No, you're right. But even before that, um, because, and this is what Bastiat does so perfectly when he talks about all law is force, all government is force, right? Mm-hmm. So even before we form some kind of formal government and all that kind of stuff. We, that, this is where Aristotle's talking about the village. So we just want some, we need interaction, right? It is very, I mean, if a family is going to live beyond basic subsistence, they just cannot provide, I mean, I guess they can skin animals and make leather shoes, but they're really not going to have a whole lot of, of quality of life. You're never going to get past survival mode. Yes. Never, you unless, to- you, unless you bring other people to association with you and you have some kind of an exchange and bartering happen. But even beyond that, we also long just for human interaction, just to be together, you know. Yeah. Have we learned that but- this year? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we... Um, so we know isn't... So, so let's, go, let's go all the way back again. Okay. So you and I are individuals. Mm-hmm. And even before we get married, even before there's family, even before there's a village and way before there's government, mm-hmm. there are, and you mentioned this, natural rights. Let's get clear about what that means. Yeah. You mentioned natural law. Mm-hmm. So give those that are listening a quick little synopsis. How would you now, after these last few years of kind of studying natural law and principles and those kinds of things, how would you define that? 
define rights? Define natural law. Natural law. Yeah. Um, so I would define natural law as the, as the law that governs human behavior. So we kind of, we already talked about that. What does that mean? Where does it come from? Why does it matter? <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just. No, I'm trying. There's so many. It's like, how do you, how do you put it in a coherent yeah. thought? I mean, if you believe in God, mm-hmm. it comes from God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can have a discussion about natural law that doesn't involve God because, yeah. because you can point out, like I said before, it's, it's things that are common yeah. to almost everybody that's ever lived on the earth. Yeah. Um, just things that we intuitively know. Yeah. But if, if you, um, you know, do believe in God, then, then that's where the, he's created the law. Mm-hmm. And, and he's infinitely wise. And so he's created a, a perfect law. He's mm-hmm. also infinitely just. So it's, you know, it's a good law. He's also what I love. And I think this is from Blackstone. Um, he's, he's infinitely good. And yeah. so what he has done, I love this, is that he's created a law that if we are obedient to this law, we will be happy. I love that. Yeah. So, so natural law comes from God. It's designed to make us happy. It's designed to, um, help us to become more like him. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. I mean, I was listening to some Earl Nightingale this morning and he was just saying, look, the fundamental truth is that the people that succeed work in harmony with the laws of the world. They understand what they are and they work in harmony with them. And, And as long as you're ignorant of what those laws are, you will, you cannot succeed. And it's true, you know, we talk about this in the academy that it's, it's true in specific realms as well. I mean, we talk all the time about laws of health or laws of finance or laws of relationships, you know, those principles, first principles or principles that govern certain areas of life. You, you learn them, you live in harmony with them, you get good results. And the mm-hmm. undergirding of all of that is a fundamental law by which, and of course, C.S. Lewis does an incredible job of explaining. I love how you explained it, Lindsay. He adds a little piece where he says, basically, it's the law that only applies to human beings mm. that we can choose to break. Right, right. We, there's, you know, the law of gravity. We have physical mm-hmm. laws, right? We can't, mm-hmm. we can't choose not to obey the law of gravity. Yeah. But, but natural law, the, you know, the laws regarding morality. Yeah, I could, we, can, we can choose not to follow them. There's consequences. Yep. But, no, you know, God yep. is never going to yep. force us to obey his law. Yeah. It's interesting too, because I, this is just one little tiny slight example, even as the world changes, especially in the West, we change our undergirding moral framework. Things that used to be considered immoral are now fine, you know, living with a partner before you're married, premarital sex, things like that. Mm -hmm. But there are some things that just don't go away that are even deeper first principles, like um, betraying the person that you're in a relationship with, like mm-hmm. people still get called out all the time in Hollywood or otherwise, if they're unfaithful. Mm-hmm. So there's still that undergirding those first principles that we just intuitively know and feel that people, you know, all throughout time have known to be right and real, but we can choose to disobey them. Whereas the other laws of nature, the scientific laws we don't get to choose to disobey. Um, now, the, Locke does a great job. He says, we live in this state of liberty. This state of nature has a law of nature to govern it, which obliges everyone. And reason, which is that law, teaches all mankind who will consult it, that being all equal and independent, no one ought to harm another in his life, health, liberty, or possessions. For men being all the workmanship of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master sent into the world by his order and about his business, they are his property, his workmanship, they are made to last. And so that's really sweet. Talks about God placed us here. He put a law in place to help us interact with each other and to treat each other right. And, and the point of justice is the preservation of the life, the liberty, health, limb, or goods of another. So the rights, right? That, and that's what it, that's right. I reminded of last night is, is because there is a law, then there follows that, that there are 
inherent rights. And justice is when we, we experience justice, when those rights are honored. And yes. we experience injustice yes. when the rights are not. And the, and one of the yes. things that really jumped out, we can, we can touch on this later too, yeah. is that um, bad laws and injustice cause contention. Yeah, and confusion. And good and confusion, mm-hmm. which <laughs> that's today. Just saying. Right? And <laughs> good laws, the, the better the law is, the more just the laws are, Yeah. the more peace we yeah. have. And that going back to Blackstone that you mentioned, that is something too that he that he mentions is that all civil law, all governmental law, all law that is layered on top of this natural state of being mm-hmm. draws force from the law of nature and only has as much force as the law of nature lends it. So right. the further away a governmental law gets from fundamental first principles of the law of nature, the less people care about it, the less people remember it, the less people try to obey it. The harder it is to enforce it. The harder it is to enforce it. Because law is force, Mm -hmm. right? Government Mm -hmm. is force. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I have a question. So I was just thinking when you said that before, so why you said, so there's this law of nature So it follows that we have natural rights. Why why does it follow that we have natural rights? I don't know if I can answer that one very well. (laughs) Um, I'd never thought about it quite that way, but I just thought maybe we could explore that question for a minute. Why does it it. follow that there would be natural rights? Why, Why are there natural rights, do you think? Well... I mean, God gave us these rights. Okay, here we go. Let's hear it. <laughs> if we are children of a creator God, uh-huh. then we have inherited those, those, those capabilities, those, those, those rights, right? Uh-huh. Like he, I'm, where am I going with this? He, <laughs> It's awesome. Keep going. <laughs> um, they're just, there has to be, because he loves us and because he's created this law, he, because we are like him, then, then there's certain things that we just, that we just have, that we're just endowed with. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are our rights. We're mm-hmm. endowed with the right to be alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that we, if there would be no use for the law, if, if there were no people, um, we have the right to, you know, not be in bondage. We have liberty, right of liberty. We have the right of property ownership really is, is the first principle that that's tied back to is we, um, because we are creators, we get to own those things that we create those ideas that we create and, and the, and the property that we create and the things that we, um, purchase. Right. And then, and then, and then we have that right of conscience, which is the right to believe and to act on the beliefs that we have. Yeah. Great. I don't know. What do you think, Audrey? (laughs) No, I, I, the connection. I agree too. And, um, this framework that we're, that we're talking about this worldview, this lens through which we're explaining the world, I believe to be the best lens, having explored a lot of other lenses, a lot of other worldviews, the humanist worldview, the postmodern worldview, the communist worldview. There are other ways of explaining the world. There are other ways of explaining why we're here and, and where we're going and what it's all about and how to create a society and what makes a law good or bad or right or wrong or any of that there are obviously other ways but this worldview that we're describing is the worldview of the american founding generation mm-hmm. it's the worldview of the west essentially moving backward in time um, from that founding and there's a lot of evidence that it creates the greatest amount of freedom for the greatest number of people, not just because 
you know, we started out with the largest number of free people any nation had ever had when we were founded, but then we gave freedom to, you know, we fought internally and gave freedom to every citizen of the United States, but it's also been the ripple effect across the world. You know, mm -hmm. our constitution has been used as a foundational document for many, many nations that have tried to move closer to freedom. So it's, the evidence really is in, in terms of the creative process, um, the abundance. I mean, it wasn't very long ago that over 50% of the world's resources were being produced in the United States or developed here. You know, people come here, have flocked to the United States for the last 200 years because there was greater freedom and opportunity to be found here. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of evidence that this worldview is a great one and it's an effective one. And there's a lot of evidence that it works. So that's the framework that we're presenting and it's, it's riddled throughout the great books. And I, lots and lots of authors have talked about it from lots of different angles. But the fundamental idea is that you could talk about it, like you said, Lindsay, outside of the constructs of a creator. It's harder, our founding fathers believed in a creator and you know, previous to that as well. Even Aristotle talks about God, Plato, I was actually quite surprised when I went Very surprising. books and I was like, wow, Very cool. really? Yeah, cool. Anyway, um, that there's, because God loves us or without, you know, without outside the contracts of some kind of, kind of creator that we have to associate, we have to be able to work together. And so there is something, there's these first principles. That's how Thomas Reed teaches it first principles written on our heart. He says, God wrote them there mm -hmm. because look, most people, we know certain things to be intuitive true. Most people, if you come at them with a knife or a gun, don't say, well, unfortunately, um, this is how the world works that anybody can kill me anytime they want. Right. That's not really how they respond. They respond no. by running away. They respond by pulling out their own gun. They respond by calling the police because they intuitively know they have a right to live. Mm -hmm. That another person cannot, does not have the right to just at random take their life away or at random take their freedom away. And so even though it's been done, I mean, how many books came out of communist Russia and communist China? I mean, how many stories were told? If it were true, that you could just beat any worldview into people and they would just never know what natural rights they had, then nobody would have come out of those civilizations complaining. Right. They knew even at the moment they knew that it was wrong. They knew that they shouldn't be treated that way. So, so that's the natural rights, four of them, as you mentioned, Lindsay. And so the purpose of the law is to protect the rights. Yes. Right. And so, yes. and so maybe there's another connection is there would be no use for the law in, if we didn't have the rights. First. Yes. Oh. And that natural law and those natural rights give force to and inform us on the right types of societies to form and the right types of governments to form. Mm -hmm. Because if we're doing the family right, if we're doing the neighborhood right, if we're doing the community right, then the city government, the state government, that's all just, you know, another layer of that, but not too this is not, not necessarily too different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first of all, let me be clear. Don't confuse natural human adult rights with parenting or maybe the rights of your children. Those are kind of two different things. And actually, Locke gets into that too in terms of motherhood and fatherhood and the responsibilities that devolve on us when we choose to have children because we have certain rights that are attached to certain duties. And we'll talk about those just natural inherent rights and duties of every human being. But mm -hmm. it, there's another layer that gets added on when we choose to bring children into the world because they are so dependent. And so they have certain rights that, to, to our protection and shelter like they're talking about. That again, is a little bit different than these natural rights and duties that has to do with parenting. And we could go into that in another That'd another be a good one. Another yeah, that'd be fun. Podcast, yeah. Okay, so then, so we've got life, liberty, property, and conscience. Pretty much all the other rights 
that we might feel that we have. And this is where it's so important to understand because there's a lot of entitlement going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say they have right to housing. They have a right to a job. They have a right to a certain income, all of that kind of thing. And actually those are, those are important impossible to enforce, impossible to execute without divulging on, divulging on the rights of others. I, I was reading one source today and he said, okay, let's, let's look at this example. Let's consider you're a farmer and the government says, we're going to, um, the government is going to subsidize you, your farming and give you a check for $1,000 to subsidize your farming. So what you need to do is go over to your neighbor, Bob, and he's going to give you $82. And then go over to your other neighbor, Jim, and he's going to give you $72. And he, and he goes on with this example about how that's actually the true real source of the government money that's going to be granted to you. But we mm-hmm. don't see it that way. And if we had to actually go knock on all our neighbors' doors and tell us, tell them to hand over our subsidy for our farming, we probably wouldn't have the stomach to do it. And I was just thinking, like, they would be like, why? Why should I give you money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, when you, and this is, this is, you know, another conversation, but when it starts getting riddled with lots of other, quote, rights, then it starts to become unenforceable and it starts to breach the rights of another. I'm yes. actually taking their property in the name of um, a government subsidy. So, and, and just, we'll, we'll get there too, but I love thinking of entitlement because that's what that is. It's, yeah. it's the counterfeit of rights. It's, 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 it's like rights, but it's, it's, a, it's a counterfeit of, of real rights, right? It, it's, it's twisted a truth a little bit enough to, it doesn't work. It doesn't work the way the rights work because it's not a true right. It's an entitlement. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and it's harder and harder to get people on board with it because <laughs> they feel that, you know, an inherent right is being, being breached. Why didn't we not always have these things if they are rights? Okay. So the question was, if these if these are natural rights, why don't we always have them? And I think what she means is why do all people not always have all of their rights? Is that how you understood it? That's how I understood it. Okay. So do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I have a couple thoughts about it. No, I'm, that's a good question. (laughs) Go for it. So it often happens, well, not often, but it does happen that you know, we know we have a right to something, but other people don't believe us or they don't honor us, honor that right. So maybe a mother gets her child taken away or a car is stolen. Well, I purchased the car. I have a right to it, but somebody else is keeping me from having that right. But I have a legal claim. Like this is the whole undergirding of the concept of things being legal or right, inherently right somehow. This is the whole basis of a legal system. This is why there can be justice. This is why there can be judges. This is why there can be courts. Because these rights come first. And the courts are the equalizer. The courts are where we go to plead our case to get back the things that others are trying to keep from us that are our right. Mm -hmm. Right? Let me see. Oh, this was, this is cool. This is uh, Mayberry. I noticed this today. He says, he's talking about how the American legal system was founded on the common law system that goes back centuries in England. And of course, that's what Blackstone's commentaries on the laws of England is that we were talking about quoting from. And so he says, the common law judges were very aware that law can involve force. The judges were trying to discover the principles which would guide them in the use of force. Again, going back to Bastiat, this fundamental idea that government is force. (laughs) Anytime, and we can start talking about how government gets constructed and how it's built on these rights and all this kind of thing. But ultimately, when you form any type of government, even in your home, these, this is how your home functions, right? Yeah. 
-hmm. People in your home, even little children know they have a right to something. They know they have certain duties towards each other and they play that out. (laughs) And you and your spouse are the government. You take those natural laws and rights, you construct rules and you force people. You ground them, you send them to their rooms, you make them go without dinner, whatever you do, you are the law and you execute force. You enforce what your rules are. And mm-hmm. ideally your rules are simple, clear, and founded on natural rights so that they have the natural force of natural law behind them. So your children want to comply and they're just not arbitrary. If you don't wear an orange shirt on Tuesday, then you spend the day in your room. Kids are going to feel the injustice of such a law and they don't feel an inherent force inside themselves that says, yes, I know as a child of God that I must wear orange on Tuesdays and I'm out of compliance with my better self. No, that's, you know, it's a dumb example, but you get the idea when it, when it's brought to its extreme, the silliness of it becomes clear. Yeah. So this is Thomas Paine. Man cannot make principles. He can only discover them. And then Mayberry goes on to say, this is a major reason that lawyers and judges were so highly respected. They had the status of scientists. It was their life's work to discover and apply correct moral principles founded on natural laws and the first principles. I mean, if there are any fundamental first principles, it's these four natural rights that we inherently feel that someone else can't make us believe something we don't want to believe. They can't make us act on convictions we don't have. You know, that's your right of conscience, property, life, liberty, etc. So here's this little example. Let me see what's... um... We don't all enjoy our rights because other people are not following the laws and deprive us of our rights. But it's only because we know that we have rights that we can order ourselves correctly and we can build societies that work, first homes that work, and then neighborhoods that work, and then societies and villages and communities that work. And to the extent that they're founded on natural laws, rights and duties, to that extent that they'll work, everyone will comply because they inherently know And then every once in a while, you have the outlaw out of the law. They live outside the natural law. And so they have to be dealt with individually. But most people want peace and quiet and they want compliance and they want to just, they want to obey the natural law. They want to honor your rights. Most people don't want to steal your stuff. Most people don't want to kill you. Most people don't want to pick you up on Sunday and force you to go to their church. They just don't. Mm. Most people leave you alone. Okay, so here's, here's this little, this is, um, and we are, we're, I'm, I'm all over the place. I've got a lot of different books out. Some of the sources that we're, that we're talking about today are drawn right from our level two workbook um, and our level two studies on law and, and principles. So pretty good stuff. This is Spooner. Tell me what you think about this. Children learn the, the fundamental principles of natural law at a very early age. In fact, I don't know if I would even say that they learn them as much as they just know them and act on them. Mm-hmm. Thus, very, they very early understand that one child must not, without just cause, strike or otherwise hurt another. That one child must not assume any arbitrary control or dominion over another. That one child must not, either by force, deceit, or stealth, obtain possession of anything that belongs to another. That if one child commits any of these wrongs against another, it is not only the right of the injured child to resist. They not only have the right to stop you from hurting them, and if need be to punish the wrongdoer and compel him to make reparation. And that's a whole other topic. (laughs) We don't do reparation today. It is also the right and the moral duty of the other children and all other persons to assist the injured party in defending his rights and redressing his wrongs. These are fundamental principles of natural law which govern the most important transaction of man with man. Yet children learn them earlier than they learn that three and three are six or five and five, ten. Their childish plays even cannot be carried on without a constant regard to them. And it is equally impossible for persons of any age to live together in peace 
on any other conditions. Yeah. So when kids play together on the playground, it only works insofar as they appeal to natural rights and natural duties. They defend each other. They defend each other's rights. They honor each other's rights and property. They don't harm each other. They don't steal from one another. All of those kinds of things. Yeah. So now we're talking, so this is, this is duties, right? And you, mm-hmm. and, and you cannot separate rights from duties. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have rights. All of us individually have rights. And it is our duty to not only protect our own rights, but to help defend others' rights. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, we could say that there's two basic duties. One is to not breach any, anyone else's rights. And another is to defend our own rights and to defend the rights of others. If we all just did our duty, if you go back even just 100 years, but especially 150, 200 years back into older you know, American or Western literature, the word duty is all over the place. Hmm. That's what parents did was teach their children their duties to themselves and to, and to, to others, to society. And, and fulfilled their parental yes. duties, right? Yes. Which is what you were talking about before. Yes. And, and another, I like to think, I don't know, the word um, duties, maybe it's because it is a little bit older, but it's also, you know, it's a responsibility. I, yeah. for me, you know, we have, you can't separate rights and responsibility. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, I have this really great, um, this is Henry Gravery, Henry Grady Weaver. This reminded me of something here. He's, he talks about how he has, he has a really interesting way of starting out this kind of conversation about the, you know, right type of government and rights and duties by talking about energy. He says, everything is energy. People are energy. The world is energy. And what we're really doing as human beings is, is consuming and using energy. We're turning resources in the earth into resources that we can use. And an economy is built up of people using energy in the world. And that human energy, like any energy, operates according to certain natural laws. For one thing, it works only under its own natural control. Your decision to turn the page released the energy to turn it. It was your will which controlled the use of that energy. Nothing else can control it. Interesting. It is true, of course, that many of your actions are prompted by suggestions and requests or orders and commands from others, but that doesn't change the fact that the decision to act and the action itself are always under your own control, which of course is Frankel, who everybody quotes about, I'm in a concentration camp and I can still control my attitude. Um, He says, your freedom of action may be forbidden, restricted, or prevented by force. The robber, kidnapper, or jailer may bind your hands and feet and put a gag in your mouth, but the fact remains that no amount of force can make you act unless you agree. I know this all sounds hair-splitting and academic, but it leads to a very important point. Two points, in fact. Number one, Individual freedom is the natural heritage of each living person. And two, freedom cannot be separated from responsibility. So that's that same idea that duties and rights are inseparably connected. They're two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. And he's using just different words, freedom, Mm -hmm. responsibility. Your natural freedom, your control over your own life energy was born in you along with life itself. It is a part of life itself. No one can give it to you, nor can you give it to someone else, nor can you hold any other person responsible for your acts. Control simply can't be separated from responsibility. Control is responsibility. Hmm. So we have energy. We choose to expend our energy. That is always an act of the will. And we're always completely responsible for how we use that energy, for the control that we exerted in whatever way. That's so interesting, especially with what we've learned, you know, in level one of the academy. I was just thinking um, when you change the word to responsibility, there's a principle in the book Boundaries that says, Mm. I, you are, I am responsible for me, for myself and to you. I'm not responsible 
for you. And so that, you know, that fits wow. in with this, with this duty, right. That we have, a, I, I have a duty, a responsibility to, mm -hmm. to live honestly, to follow the natural law, to be, mm -hmm. you know, a good mm -hmm. citizen. Mm -hmm. That's my responsibility. I'm not responsible to make you do the same things, but I am responsible to you to help protect your rights, to help, wow. you know, to treat you with kindness and respect. Great point. Great, great point. Let's see, this is Spooner again. If there be such a principle as justice or natural law, it is the principle or law that tells us what rights were given to every human being at his birth. What rights are therefore inherent in him as a human being necessarily remain in him during life and however capable of being trampled on are incapable of being blotted out extinguished, annihilated, or separated or eliminated from his nature as a human being or deprived of their inherent authority or obligation. So that's exactly goes back to what Nina was saying is that they can be trampled on, you can be locked up, but that doesn't change the fact that they exist and that that human being has the right to those things all their life long. And we do feel the injustice anytime we know someone's rights are being trampled on. We know it's, it's unjust. We can come back and layer this and start going into something that Lindsay mentioned about, okay, so then we have these natural rights and duties, what happens now? Mm -hmm. We can start talking about how that becomes government and what that looks like and how that gets structured, what kind of some perversions or distortions of that are. Right. Because if you have the right of conscience to believe, mm -hmm. you have the right to believe what you feel is, is, a, is, according to your conscience, but what if your conscience is not lined up with natural law? Or what if your definition of liberty is not aligned with natural law? What, you know, because what if your reason is not, is faulty, right? Because the, the, a lot of these, I'm looking at the level two workbook, a lot of these great thinkers, they say reason, you've got to use your reason, 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 reason. You can know these things. Like you said earlier, I mean, Aristotle says, if, if something, if you, if you reason it out and it's just ridiculous, then that's your, <laughs> that you can know that. You can know that yeah. it's not aligned with natural law. But what if your reasoning is faulty? Because we also know that our reasons can be biased because of all the influences, our education, our environment, all the ways we grew up, you know, right. And so, so then I, then it starts to get complicated. Yes, we have these rights, but um, not everybody. And I'm seeing this a lot clearly lately. Not everybody is interpreting these things or applying these principles the same way. So I think that definitely could be <laughs> another hour of discussion. <laughs> Yes, we really need to talk about that. Clearly lots of anger due to natural law being defied. So how do we get back in line with it? Mm. That's um, a really big answer. Obviously, there's a lot of things that we can do to get back in line with natural law. But the first thing that we have to do is understand it. Yep. First thing that we have to do is learn about it for ourselves, right? And to teach it to those around us and it's a, it, it's a hard answer to say, to start with you, but it's really the only answer that ever works. I remember watching this, Jordan Peterson was on this panel and there was a young girl there, you know, in her twenties or something. And she was obviously very passionate about um, environment control and, you know, the heating up of the planet and all the things. And so she said, she said, you know, she gave this argument about this is happening and, you know, the, the polar caps are going to melt and it's going to flood the earth and our whole environment's going to change and the population, you know, it's going to die out and all these things that she believed that, you know, were going to happen just really, really soon. And she said, don't you think some problems are, you know, so big, so eminent, so um, important that they be managed now that we should just totally focus on solving them right now and not worry about some of these other things that you're talking about in terms of personal responsibility and educating yourself. He's, you know, it's kind of a reference to his 12 rules for life book, you know, mm -hmm. um, don't 
judge anyone else until your house is in order and those kinds of things. And it was just interesting because she gave this whole big long argument about shouldn't we just save the earth? <laughs> and he just said, no. She kind of looked at it for a minute. And he was like, no. And it was not the answer really almost anybody expected him to give. Mm -hmm. But he just said, you know, you, nothing that you do can really truly be principled and lasting unless you are in charge of you first. Yeah. Unless you've paid a price to become principled, who were you to go out there and solve the world's, world's problems with, you know, with all the answers until you've put your own house in order? Because if we can just get enough people to put their own houses in order, then some of these things will work themselves out. If we know how to order our own homes and order our communities, if we know how to build more principled solutions mm -hmm. um, wherever we are, then that with enough, with enough of us, it will write itself with yeah. enough people doing the small tasks. So anyway, those are some thoughts. We'll get back on here in a few weeks and go at it again and start talking about the fundamentals of government and some concepts of conscience and all those other things. Keep, thank you so much for joining us today, for talking out a little bit of a beginning of the conversation around principles of government, the natural rights, the natural laws, um, the duties that we all hold to each other. It's so absolutely critical that we learn these and teach them to our families. It will make all the difference. It is a lack of knowledge about natural laws and principles over the last century that has gotten us to where we are. Keep that in mind. And so, the way that we have to turn it around, you know, right there in our declaration, Jefferson says, if it gets to the point where you need to change your government, then found it on such principles, you know, he says right there, then you've got to put it in such a form and found it on such principles as will to those people, you know, what's the exact wording? It seemed to make them happiest or however, I can't remember the exact wording. That's the idea here. If we're going to fix our forms, then we have to fix the principles that underlie the forms. Mm -hmm. If the forms are going wacky, if all of our, you know, issues today are off kilter, we can only correct them by knowing the laws and principles ourselves. So educate yeah. yourself first, educate your families, educate your communities, and live what you know to be true and promote it. And that's how we can turn it around. And it only has to take a generation at most. So... Keep those things in mind. Thanks for joining us. We will see you again soon. Thanks for being here and talking with me, Lindsay. Thanks, Audrey. Hope everyone has a wonderful day.